three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Sully is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglou. Great to have you here. He's a nation of the program. The Bears won, but Justin Fields sucked. We'll explain in just a moment. Plus, Brand new interview today with Scott Merkin, the White Sox beat writer at MLB.com. We talked with him extensively about what went wrong for the White Sox in 2022. Plus, who's their manager going to become next year? It's a great interview. Comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook. John Zaclul, want to watch more of this show, head on over to SportsTalkChicago.com. Want to start today with this. Are you scared yet? <laughs> you should be. You should be. You should be terrified of what you saw yesterday. I'm happy the Bears won. They should have won. Had they not won, it would have been pathetic for Justin Fields more than anybody. But you should be terrified of what you saw from Fields in that game. Saw so Bears postgame show yesterday. Former player said, I still believe in QB1 shaking his fist, being a fanboy. Get the hell off the show. The hell's wrong with you? Stop being a fanboy, being an evaluator. That's the, everybody, stop being a fanboy, being an evaluator. Do you really believe in QB1 after that performance yesterday? You're going to sit here with a straight face and feed me Kool-Aid? That was not a good game for Justin Fields. In fact... Had the Bears lost that game, it would have been because of him. If it wasn't for Davis Mills screwing up, the Bears might have lost to the freaking Texans. And that would have been number one on Justin Fields' hand. It would have been his fault they lost more than anybody. Who else led to the Bears' downfall yesterday? Khalil Herbert killed it. Came in for David Montgomery. Roquan Smith had an amazing game. Recovered after a horrible game last week. There were so many good things we saw from other players. But what did we not see? Justin Fields making any sort of significant play. And that's the scary part. What did Justin Fields do yesterday to help the Bears win the game? Really nothing. Two picks. Horrible picks, by the way. What kind of throws were those? You know, I remember a time maybe last year, two years ago, when everybody killed Mitch Trubisky for making those same throws. Justin Fields is making the same mistakes, if not worse. Justin Fields is regressing. You don't want to hear it. 
but I'd rather tell you the truth than lie to you. Justin Fields, at this point, in this moment, is progressing. Could get better down the road. Could improve as he gets more acclimated to this offense. But through three weeks, I've seen him get worse. I have not seen him get better from last year. If anything, these numbers are worse. They are worse. Worst passer rating in football, 50 for three games. One of the worst completion percentages in football. Could barely get past 100 yards passing every game. I'm telling you, there's reason to be concerned today. I know everybody wants Justin Fields to be great, including me. Everybody wants to crown him as the savior for the Bears, but I'll tell you what right now, not looking good. And he has to make serious changes in order to get better. Trevor Lawrence is succeeding right now. And I thought he was going to be a bust after last year. Trevor Lawrence is killing it right now. Davis Mills blew the game yesterday, but otherwise did Pretty good in his first two games. I did great last year. But David Culley, who ended up getting fired. There are guys in Justin Fields' quarterback class who are already succeeding at the NFL level. It's not to say Justin Fields needs to be on that timeline, but it is to say that others in his class are succeeding, and he is not. He is not succeeding. He's regressing significantly. And here's the dilemma for Bears fans. The Bears are winning. They're 2-1, and one, which I cannot believe. But they have a dud of a quarterback right now. How do you feel about it? Come on, tell me. How do you feel about that? I don't feel particularly good. It's not to say rather the Bears lose games and tank at a number one draft pick. The Bears make the playoffs amazing. I'm going to be super happy. But... I can't help but wonder, what are they going to do at quarterback? I mean, Justin Fields has time, 14 more games to get things right. If this continues, the Bears have to move on from him. That's a fact. Mitch Trubinsky in his second year was a pro bowler. 24 touchdowns, 12 picks. Bears in 2018 were great. And they had a great defense. They had a great run game. It wasn't all Mitch. It was barely Mitch. This year, there is nothing from Fields. Absolutely nothing. We're not even seeing a touchdown here and there. We're not even seeing yards put up. But we are seeing bad decisions. We are seeing indecisiveness from the Bears' play callers to give Fields the ball. That's the scary part. You know, I heard the announcers yesterday in the game, fourth quarter, Bears and Texans were tied. I heard them say, I don't know what you're going to do with Justin Fields. The Bears don't have confidence in him to move the ball downfield late in this game. That's the key. If you have other people from the outside saying it, you know it's true. You can see it on the game. We saw it yesterday. The Bears do not have enough confidence in Justin Fields to make big plays when it matters. That is concerning. There are so many red flags we saw yesterday despite the Bears' win. We'll talk about the good parts in a second, but this is the main storyline here. This season was supposed to be for Justin Fields to develop and get better. Oh, by the way, there was no maybe he'll be bad. It was, no, he's going to be great, and you have to accept it. He's going to be great, and you have to accept it. And if you think with any bone in your body that he might not do well or he might be a bust even, you're going to be killed, right? 
on Outlook. I like Justin Fields. I think he's a good kid, and I think there's still an opportunity for growth, but don't tell me that a 50 passer rating is acceptable. Don't try and sell me on Justin Fields having a great year so far with the 50 passer rating. And I know passer rating isn't accurate. It isn't the best metric, but it's a good one. It's a decent metric. And right now that metric is hurting Justin Fields greatly. But not allowed to question. Not allowed to say, well, maybe he may not do that great. Maybe his issues. Maybe he just may not be that guy. Can't say that. Not allowed to say that. And I'm not saying that today, but everybody just expected greatness. Hey, guys, maybe he won't do so well. Maybe there's going to be growing pains. Maybe he won't even throw for 3,000 yards. No, 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 you're crazy. Well, guess what? Who's looking crazy today? The guy sipping the Kool-Aid saying Justin Fields is going to be the MVP because there were people saying that? Or Justin Fields may have some growing pains. Justin Fields may not do well in this offense. Justin Fields needs time to learn. He has no weapons. And guess what? He has his own issues. Who's looking crazy today? But no, I believe in QB1. Okay. Find a believe in QB1. Have fun sipping your Kool-Aid. Be an evaluator. Justin Fields did well. I'd be praising him. But the fact is he didn't. It's okay to say it. You can say it. Say he didn't do good. 50 passer rating is not good. It's not going to convince me that he's all of a sudden a great player. These are the same people who said Mitch Trubisky in 89 passer rating best in Bears history was a bum. Now we're saying a 50 is good. We have to be honest, unbiased evaluators. And it seems as if everybody in media is biased towards Justin Fields being great when he's not right now. You cannot sell me on a 50 passer rating. You cannot sell me on a 50% completion percentage. You cannot sell me. On more picks than touchdowns. You can't do it. We need to see better play out of him. Now, I'm not being impatient. I'm not. I didn't expect this. I didn't expect this bad a performance for three games for him. It has to be better than this. You're saying I'm impatient? So be it. There was no patience with Mitch Trubisky, there was no patience with anybody. Nobody got patience. And we've been patient with Justin Fields. We really have. I'm trying to be patient here. But I can't deny that through three games, he's been horrible. I can't deny that through three games, he's been one of the worst-rated passers in football. Not just in the NFC North, in the NFC, in all of football. He's been one of the worst-rated passers. It's going to be time for the Bears to make a decision soon. That doesn't mean you bench Justin Fields. You're going to play him the whole year, but I'm talking about next year. I'm talking about beyond. Is he really the Bears franchise QB? It's fair to ask that question. And it's fair to keep that question in the back of our heads as we watch this entire season play out. I know already what people are going to tell me. You're a Justin Fields hater. No, I'm a fair talent evaluator. He has the it factor. I believe in QB1. Continue to sip the Kool-Aid. I didn't see any it factor yesterday. I saw somebody who missed open guys. I saw somebody who made two horrendous interceptions. And I saw somebody, when the game was on the line, at the end of the game, when the score was tied, 
saw somebody who coaches did not believe in. I'm telling it to you like it is. I saw somebody yesterday when the game was tied 20 to 20 who the coaches did not believe in to drive the team downfield to win the game. Yeah, that's scary. That's concerning. Yes, it is. Call me a Fields hater if you want. I'm not a Fields hater. But I am concerned that the Bears' supposed star quarterback was not trusted to lead the team downfield in a tie game at the end of the fourth quarter. Concerning. I don't care if he's young or not. you got to do it. doesn't matter how young you are. Do it. He was so good at Ohio State, then do it here. The Bears may not have ample weapons. The Bears certainly have issues offensively. Offensive line is horrible at pass protection, good at run protection. I have no idea why, but that's just how they are right now. The wide receiving core is decimated and is still one of the worst in the NFL. I get it. But you can't mitigate the two horrible passes yesterday for interceptions, and Justin Fields just not making plays. He overthrew so many wide receivers yesterday. He missed screen passes. It's not just a weapons issue, and I've tried personally to make excuses for him because I know it's not a good team. I know that. When you're number one wide receiver right now statistically is EQ St. Brown, yes, I know that is not good at all. I'm, I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. But a lot of these problems that the Bears are seeing offensively is, guess what, because of him. A lot of the Bears' offensive problems, the reason why they're not putting up big numbers is because of Justin Fields and his limitations. Saying the quiet part out loud, he has limitations right now, and maybe those go away with time. Maybe they go away with time. Maybe he continues to develop better and better. Maybe by the end of the year, he's not regressing. He's progressing, and we could talk about all the good things that he's doing. But right now, he's regressing. He has limitations. And the Bears' offense are limited by that, by their lack of weaponry, and by Luke Etzit. All three of those factors are hurting the Bears' offense. And I'm happy the Bears are winning. But I think everybody's sick of 1920s NFL football in Chicago. I know the NFL wasn't around in the 1920s, but that's essentially what it is here. This is 1920s NFL football. I'm okay if the Bears win, but I don't like this. And I'll tell you what, this is not going to win them a Super Bowl, so what does it matter? Rushing for 300 yards in a game is not going to win you a Super Bowl unless we're talking about the NFL championship era when the Bears were great. Last time the Bears were great. And if we're talking about the 1940s, 50s, 60s, sure, I'd say 300 rushing yards a game is unbelievable. But right now, you are not going to win a Super Bowl with 300 rushing yards a game and 100 passing yards a game, if that. You're not going to do it. So we need to see more of a balanced offensive attack, and I'll say this too. Not Luke Gutsy's fault. He's going with the hot hand. Right? He's going with the hot hand. The hot hand right now, yesterday, was Khalil Herbert. That was the hot hand he went with it. The Bears won. Great. But key word, the hot hand was not Justin Fields. And actually, it's never been. Scary again. The hot hand has never been Justin Fields yet. 
Never. Not once. The Bears are treating him like a liability. And they're showing it. We've seen it with play calling. We've seen it with their approach offensively. We've seen it inside two minutes in the fourth quarter when the Bears need to come back. That is all scary stuff. I'm just saying, I'm telling it like it is here. It's scary. It's not good. Don't listen to everybody who says, I believe in QB1. It's great. That's all scary. That's all concerning. I hope it gets better. But you cannot deny what we've seen so far. You can't. I know you want to. We all, I want to. But you can't. I want Justin Fields to be the best quarterback in Bears history. I want him to throw for 4,000 yards, something no Bears quarterback has ever done. But right now, it ain't happening. It's a hard reality, but Bears fans have to accept it. And until you do, you're going to be disappointed week in and week out, or you're going to drink the Kool-Aid and all of a sudden be convinced that 100 passing yards in a game is okay. And it's not. It's not okay. That's not enough. We need to evaluate ourselves and what we deem to be a good NFL quarterback. What is your criteria for being a good NFL quarterback? Need to be a leader, need to put up decent numbers, need to lead your team downfield when needed at the end of the game, need to be clutch at times, and you need to limit your turnovers. Justin Fields right now is none of that. He could be some of that later down the road, but right now he's none of that. Scary. We need to acknowledge the truth here. Now, the truth is, for the rest of the game, the Bears played decent. Run defense was horrible. But Roquan Smith had 16 tackles and the big pick. And how about Khalil Herbert stepping in? You know, I hope David Montgomery is okay, but I just want to say this. I talked about this yesterday as I watched the game with a couple of people. Watch out for David Montgomery's future here in Chicago. That doesn't mean that he should lose his job because of an injury, but the Bears are supposed to pay him at the end of the year. Herbert showed why they don't necessarily need to pay Montgomery. Another hard, painful truth, but nevertheless true. Look, right now, after yesterday's game, I would say I don't need to pay David Montgomery if I were buying polls. Why? For what? You have Abner and you have Herbert. And Herbert proved yesterday that he is more than okay leading this run attack. So it's unfortunate for David Montgomery. It sucks, but it's the nature of the business. That's why they say never pay a running back. Now, there are certain situations, but even in those situations where I thought it was right to pay, it didn't work out. Look at Ezekiel Elliott. I thought it was great to pay him. And he's turned out to suck ever since he got the money. Maybe on Bell. Sucked after he got the money. It seems as if every time you pay a running back, they just tail off. And that's because the lifespan of a running back in the NFL is four years, usually. Four years. Four or five years. So by the time they're ready to get paid, somebody else is behind them or they're regressing or both. Even Christian McCaffrey getting paid. Now he's hurt all the time. Even the guys who do deserve it simply are unhealthy. It's very tough as a running back to make big money in the NFL. And right now, I have to say, David Montgomery is in trouble. Not for the rest of this year. He's not going to lose the job or anything. But if he wants a big payday from the Bears, or even from anybody else, yesterday hurt him big time. And a lot of agents... And GMs are going to look back at this game, week three against Houston, and remember, maybe we don't need to pay him. I know the Bears will. I know Eberflus and Poles will. 
the end of the year when we're talking about who should the Bears retain, who should they extend. Hey, if you're the pink between Roquan Smith and David Montgomery, I'm paying Smith all day. Roquan made a big impact on yesterday's game. When he's gone, the Bears miss him for the most part. They do. Montgomery, kind of the opposite. I mean, he was gone. It hurt in the moment. We were all scared and worried about him, but Herbert stepped in and did just as good as Montgomery would have done, if not better. Something to think about. When that question and subsequent argument comes up, because I know it will, everybody's going to be arguing about this in a couple of months, January, February. I'm going to remember this game. I'm going to point everybody back to this game and say, look, do the Bears need to pack David Montgomery? Is he a need? Are the offense moving forward? The answer is no. It's not necessary. Something to keep in mind. Bears run defense needs to get better. Everybody's running all over him, and it's just kind of unacceptable. It, it really is. I mean, this is just horrible run defense we're seeing from the Bears. Pierce ran for 80 yesterday. Jones carved him up last week. Scary stuff, too. That needs to be cleaned up. But other than that, it was a Bears win. It was an ugly win, and it really shouldn't have been that close against a Texans team that's going nowhere. But they did win. My prediction was 24-21, right on point. I thought it was going to be a game-winning field goal from Santos that would prove to be the difference maker, and sure enough, it was. So, the Bears are 2-1. and one. You happy? They are 2-1. and one. Didn't expect that. I don't think anybody else did. That's great. But I think everybody also realizes there are some serious questions surrounding Justin Fields. We have to acknowledge that. We have to tell it like it is, even though it hurts people. Sometimes you're going to have to hurt people. But I'd rather hear the truth than a lie. I'd rather be told, hey, you're not good enough than oh, you're great, and then never get hired for something, right? If you're looking for a job, I'd rather hear, hey, here's what you could change, or you're just simply not good enough to do this, versus I think you're great, and then we're not going to hire you. I want to know the truth. We all want to know the truth. Truth sets us free. It's not a cliche. It really is a reality in life. I want to know the truth about Justin Fields. So I need to ask questions to find out that truth. I can't just sit around and be blind and say, yeah, it sounds good. QB1. That's not going to help me find out the truth. It's going to let me be deceived, lead to deception, lead to drinking Kool-Aid. That's going to end up going sour one day, probably killing me. It's not going to lead me to the truth. That's all I want. Was I harsh today? I need to know. We all need to know. Chicago deserves to know. Actually, we're entitled to know. We've been through the gauntlet of bad quarterbacks, big draft picks, busts, trades that haven't worked. We deserve to know whether or not Justin Fields is the guy. So until we know one way or another, we're going to keep questioning week after week whether or not we see any progress or anything that indicates he is the guy. We deserve to know. 100%. So keep questioning. That's my message to you. Keep questioning. Don't listen to the Kool-Aid drinkers in the media. Don't listen to everybody trying to defend and make a case for Justin Fields with a 50-frickin' passer rating. Think for yourself. Look at the numbers. 
and watch the film, watch the tape. Justin Fields yesterday in his first interception had two other wide receivers wide open through the pink. That's tape 101. I don't need to be a film guru to see it. We saw it during the game. That's the point. He's having problems with decision-making. He's having problems holding out of the football too long. He's having problems wondering when to run or pass, when to keep it or throw it. He's having problems hitting guys in the chest with the football. The Bears might be 2-1. and one. Maybe this is going to be a repeat of 2006 where running and defense will lead the way. But if you remember in 2006, Rex Grossman sucked. And the next year, they went 7-9 because they didn't have a quarterback. So it's nice if the Bears keep winning. It's nice if the Bears make a wild card spot. I'm going to be so happy if they do. I really will be because nobody expected it. But the flip side is, who's the Bears quarterback going to be? Is Justin Fields the future? Is he good enough to be a franchise QB? Will he finally be the guy for the Bears? And I'll tell you what right now. I have a question about it. And if I have a question about it, that's enough for me to say he's not the guy yet. Not yet. He has a ways to go. Hopefully next week he can get something started and make a difference and try and change all of our minds. But right now in this moment, after three weeks of play, he's not the guy. It's early. Things could change. I hope they do. I hope he proves me wrong. And I can sit here and tell you I was wrong, and he is the guy now. But as of right now in this moment, as I make this video, and we recap the Texans versus the Bears. Justin Fields is not the guy for this team. And that's a fact. For to come here on Sports Talk Chicago, my interview with Scott Merkin comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Chicago. For Johns of Glorland, we're back and ready for today's special guest. He's the White Sox beat writer for MLB.com and a BBWAA member. Please welcome Scott Merkin to the program. Scott, it's great to have you on. How are you? Good, good to see you, John. Happy to be back on. Yeah, great to have you back on. What's wrong with the White Sox right now? Uh, well, they're out of uh, contention for the AL Central title. That, that would be the biggest thing. And <laughs> you know, aside from that, I just think it, it just never was a team that clicked all year. I don't know if it's not a great fit. You know, like it's funny because I've talked a little bit about everything. And the 2004 team, Ozzie Guillen's first year, had great talent on that team. You had Maglio, you had Frank, you had Carlos Lee. Now they had huge injuries. Maglio, you know, they were in first place at one point. And then Maglio got hurt, Frank got hurt, and they, you know, tailed off and Minnesota won the division. But that next team in 05, now granted, they did everything right. The pitching was amazing. You know, we'll never see what they did in the ALCS again. The four straight complete games and I think two-thirds of an inning from five straight complete games. And great defense, hit a lot of home runs. But they had a great fit on that team. You know, they changed the team. They let Maglio go. They traded Carlos Lee. They changed the look. And I think it's not always about having the most immense talent in every position. It's about a team that fits well together. No better example of that than Cleveland. So, you know, I'm not sure, you know, I, I mean, we all, I think I speak for the beat writers. We all enjoyed covering Tony this year and last year, but I don't know if he was the right fit for this team or is the right fit for this team moving forward. So just a bunch of everything. And, and they just never were, you know, I, I predicted uh, before I went on vacation at the beginning of September, I wrote about it in my newsletter for tomorrow. I predicted how when they got back from Seattle, Oakland, they're going to be at the worst tide for first place because they were on a roll. Cleveland was coming off 
five, uh, two and eight stretch, including a four game losing streak where they scored one run, not one run a game, one run in total in four games. So I thought Minnesota's hurts. Cleveland has been a great story, but they're just not, they're too young. They're not going to have the fight at the end. And lo and behold, Cleveland has gone 18 and three. And I was wrong. And the Sox just, you know, the only thing that I guess I missed is that the Sox never wore a great team this year. They were between five under and five over and somewhere between, you know, six out and two out almost the entire year. They had a 10 day stretch early on where they're in first, but otherwise that was it. So I think, you know, AJ Pazinski once told me this and I'm sure other baseball people have said it, but the record don't lie. You are what your record is. And they're a one game below 500 team right now. Why did this happen? I mean, I don't think anybody expected what we saw from them this year. They were supposed to be a World Series team to a lot of people. Right. Why did this happen to the White Sox? Well, I think people don't want to hear it, but they're, you know, it's not an excuse. It's fact. There were a lot of injuries. I mean, Moncada going into the last week and ready for spring training hurts his oblique and probably you know is not lined up right the rest of the year. Uh, Lucas Giolito hurt himself in the very first start against the Tigers. He had an off year after that. Grandal was dealing with offseason knee injury or knee surgery. I'm sorry, and had other injuries. And while being a good force in that clubhouse, a good leader, you saw that in New York with, you know, situation with him and Josh Donaldson after the TA moment on the field, just had a bad year. You know, he, he underperformed and I don't think I'm, you know, I don't think I'm saying that he probably wouldn't say overall too. He's, you know, he got a 275 slugging percentage after when he came back last season, I, I don't think there was a ball that he hit that wasn't well connected. Even the outs were like, geez, that one's close to going out. He just crushed everything. So, you know, I, I just think it was a little bit of everything. It just didn't work. Whatever the group was together this year just did not work, whether it was injuries, underperformance. And, you know, don't, again, don't take away from Cleveland. Cleveland was the better team. Cleveland had its back against the wall uh, in, in the sense of maintaining that first place lead. They went 18 and three. And most of those games were against, a lot of those games were against the Twins and the Sox, who were the two contending teams. You know, Terry Francona, we all kind of rolled our eyes a couple Thursdays ago when they had that makeup game, and he went with Hunter Gaddis. No disrespect to Hunter, but he's a rookie who hadn't, you know, didn't figure to match up very well at the Sox, and he didn't. He gave up, I think, five home runs in that game, four or five, and backed up Tristan McKenzie. Well, I don't think they've lost since that game. If I'm, if my math is right, I, I believe – oh, maybe, no, they lost once to Minnesota. So they were 4-1 and one versus Minnesota, 3-0 and oh versus the Sox, 3-0 and versus the Rangers. So I'm going to say Terry Francona's move worked out really well there. And, you know, I, I think the White Sox also, which, you know, isn't a great look, but it's kind of understandable. They wouldn't say it, but they went into that Cleveland series knowing they had to sweep to win, to have a chance at winning the division. Even two out of three would keep them alive, but it would make it still tough with, you know, as many, as few games as there were. And I think once they lost that Tuesday game, which was a battle, you know, both teams had chances to win and Cleveland ended up putting it away with five in the 11th. It just kind of took a little bit of a win. It kind of was a gut punch. And, you know, you would not expect them to get swept by Detroit, period, let alone at home. So a, a very tough week to end a very tough season for the White Sox. What made Cleveland the better team over the White Sox? Because, again, we didn't expect that early on. Yeah. Oh, I think if you went back and looked at all the preseason picks, there'd be many more that picked them last than first. I mean, many more. I don't know if anyone would have picked them first. I think people thought Minnesota. I thought Minnesota because I thought they were nowhere near as bad as what happened last year. Minnesota, I believe, I was sitting next to a, Ray Garcia of the White Sox media relations. And we were going over the list of the twins on the IL. I think there's like 19 guys. This is going to be, I remember the lineup they had, this is again, taking nothing away from Zach Stewart, but the lineup they had years ago where he almost threw a perfect game. He took it into the eighth inning. I think they had two starters in that entire lineup. And you're going to see a little bit of that. These next six of the final nine, you know, 
Polanco's gone, Buxton's gone, uh, Kepler's gone, Kirilov's gone. The list goes on and on. It's 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 sad for them, but Cleveland just had the right mix. You know, they're a great defensive team. They catch everything. They take the extra base every single time. They play hard every moment. You know, even the the play that um, I think it was Game Two where Rosario, who's I think one of the faster guys in the American League, hits sort of a slow roller. Moncada. Moncada says he tried to get it on the right hop, so it didn't. You know, didn't become a tricky play. Took a second too long. Rosario beat it out, and they end up getting two runs in that first inning when Moncada makes an error a couple couple plays later. So, yeah, I don't know. And but they had injuries, like we went over. You know, every team had them, but they had quite a few. But then again, the Twins are probably saying, you know, don't don't look at me. That. But back to the Guardians. You know, I, I think the Twins were a team that were in. I think the Tigers because they finished what sixty one and fifty three last year after a really bad start, and they were miserable. They were awful this year. And the Guardians just played well. And I really like that team overall. Like, I think they can beat either the Rays or the Guardians. I'm I'm sorry, or the uh, Mariners, barring a complete collapse by the Mariners in the first round. I think the Blue Jays will probably end up being that fourth seed. But, I mean, they have a really good front three in Bieber, McKenzie. Ask the Sox hitters about McKenzie. He has been outstanding against them. And Cal Quantrill's had a great year. And Cal Quantrill's invincible at home. I don't believe he's lost a home start in his entire tenure with the Guardians. So that's your probably game three pitcher if you get to that in the series. You have probably, you know, coin flip between Class A and Hendricks is the best closer probably in baseball, right, right now. Uh, Karen Check has been great as a setup guy. I, I believe his name is DeSantos. Um, Trevor Steven, you know, they got they got a good bullpen, and they have a good mix. They don't have a lot of homers, so I don't know if that's going to change things, you know, in a playoff game. But I think, you know, you make you want to make things happen. That's the, it's the Cleveland team. And they have, of course – a uh, multi-championship winner and experienced manager in Terry Francona. Scott Merkin here on Sports Talk Chicago. Scott, what are you hearing about Tony LaBrusa moving forward for the White Sox? I mean, I'm hearing, you know, everything, but pretty much the only thing I know is what Rick Hahn has told us, you know, and that he's not coming back the rest of this year. I asked Rick on Saturday when he talked to us before the game after Michigan had won. Um, he Both Rick and I are Michigan people, actually, so I got to <laughs> put that in there. I'm required by contract to do that. <laughs> Um, he said, you know, I asked him, will he come back next year? No, Rick actually jumped ahead of this and said, I know the inevitable and we're focused on the rest of the season at this point. We'll talk about Tony at the end of the year. And I later then asked him, do you, does, has he expressed a desire that he wants to come back next year? Who knows? You know, he's going to be 78 soon. He's done everything you possibly can as a manager. And then some, you know, three world titles, six pennants, number two, all time in wins. And really number one, because, Connie Mack is one and Connie Mack owned a lot of the teams that he managed. So just, you know, continuously made himself manager. And Rick said, we're focused on his health and that's it, which is understandable. It's understandable. I personally think, you know, again, enjoyed covering Tony. They probably need a new voice in there. And again, I I don't know if they need to reconfigure this team as many people are yelling, we need a different look, but I do think they have to go through each spot and figure out what works and what doesn't work and what works together moving forward. What do you think works for them right now? Who should they be retaining? moving forward well i mean you can make an argument that it can retain a lot of these guys i mean aloy jimenez is showing you when he's healthy he's a 300 hitter with 40 home run potential luis robert when he's healthy which he was not a lot of this year is probably you know has the talent to be an mvp candidate obviously you've got to do it on the field too i mean yasmati grandal we talked about he's got one year left on his contract when he came back from his knee issue last year just line drives and home runs and extra bases everywhere not the case this year you know, the big issue is going to be Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu is, you know, his last year in this three-year, I believe it was $50 million extension. 
He is, you know, as valuable a piece of the franchise as I've seen in recent memory. I mean, obviously, Canerco is great, and Frank Thomas is great, and Chris Sale on the mound. And you, I, I'm missing people because you can go on and on. But Jose's in that category. Jose's absolutely in that category. I think he'd love to win with the White Sox, but you know what? Chris Sale wanted to win with the White Sox, and they had to move on from him, had to trade him. So the thing is, Andrew Vaughn, if Jose Abreu comes back, is not going to be is going to probably be an outfielder again. And Andrew has worked his butt off, as is Gavin Sheets, learning the outfield. Andrew Vaughn's not a Gold Glove outfielder, you know, so he's probably a better fit at first base. But if you have Jose back there, even if you split time, he's still going to be in the outfield some. So I think they need probably another left-handed bat to kind of balance that out a little bit and, you know, better defense, whatever that entails. And that may mean moving Vaughn to first base and somehow parting ways with Jose, which, which would be tough for the organization. You know, I mean, it'd be tough for everyone involved. He's such a good man. It would really be tough to see him go. And, and this is not a sentimental thing. The guy has been great this year. You know, I mean, his power numbers and RBI numbers. I remember for a while though, he was like the guy in the lineup, you know? So, you know, I mean, Vaughn was there, Sheets was there, but in terms of like reputation, that's the guy you're going to try and pitch around and not give anything to hit. And he probably pressed a little bit to try and make things happen, but he's still, I think fifth in the batting race. So it's not like he's tailed off where you're like, well, we're going to keep him, but we're expecting like, you know, minimal OBP production and that kind of thing. He's, he's at a, he's near a career high for that. So it'll be an interesting decision there. I mean, and, you know, there's, contractual concerns with a lot of these guys in terms of <clears throat> Moncada, you know, if, if for some reason, and now let, let's, <clears throat> excuse me, let's get this straight. Moncada is one of the better defensive third basemen, I think in the game, he's not Nolan Arenado, but no one is, but you know, he's really good. And he's had an off year offensively. He's had a really poor year offensively, but he also, I believe has like $45 million owed to him over the next couple of years. I should look that up, but he's, you know, that's not an easy contract to move. If you somehow decide to do that. So again, I don't think you run it back completely as is, but I think if you bring a lot of these guys back, the same guys who won the division in 21, the same guys who won it in 20, every year is different. As we can all speak, even those of us who aren't baseball players, every year you, you feel a little different, you get a little older, but I still think it's a team that can be you know very competitive and contend for a division title. What about at manager? I think that's going to be the bigger question too. Do they make a change at manager? If so, who are you hearing or who do you think would be a good fit? Well, I think there haven't been many names out there yet because they haven't, you know, announced really the Tony situation yet. So I don't know. I mean, it depends what you want to go for. Do you want to go for an older, more established guy like a Bruce Bochy, even like a Mike Sosha? Do you want to go young? You know, Justin Jershley managed the Project Birmingham and Birmingham. Chris Getz, who I think is more on the line as GM, could be it. Or how about guys who are extraordinarily knowledgeable baseball guys with ties to the organization, A.J. Persinski. Jim Tomey, you know, there's so many guys out there. I think it'd be a good job. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons Tony, besides the connection to Jerry Ryan's earth and the connection to the organization, liked this job so much because as a manager, ask AJ Hinch, you don't come into teams very often where you can win a title as soon as you step foot on the property, you know? You, you got to go through a little bit before you get there. So that's what you're coming into with the Sox, unless for some reason, which I don't see it happening, they decide to just completely tear it down and change things again you're coming in with a team at the very least that should contend for AO Central title. Has there been talk about Miguel Cairo inheriting the job? How have you evaluated his job so far? Yeah, I should. Yeah, I, I forgot about Miguel Cairo. He's obviously done an outstanding job uh, filling in for filling in for Tony. And, you know, I think things have gotten tough after they lost that first game. But, you know, I liked his uh, – I'm, I'm sorry, I'm looking I'm looking up because I want to get it right. Yohan Moncada, real quickly, in 23 – is it 
17 million dollars 24 he's owed 24 million dollars and then a club option of 25 for 25 so that's that's wow. what we're talking about so there's always contractual concerns anyways back to the manager and i did forget miguel cairo put in a very tough situation you know it was an hour before that game on august 30th against kansas city where tony left he did the pregame he was talking to dave stewart on the field he talked to i believe jesse rogers about uh albert pujos before going to the clubhouse and then we got a, a group of us were having dinner in the bar's room and we got a text saying you know, Tony's not managing tonight. And he, aside from being there for Dave Stewart's retirement ceremony and then being there for the two Colorado games at home, we haven't really seen him since then. So it's a tough situation for Cairo. He gets asked a lot about that, obviously. He can only answer what he knows. But I think he's done a good job. So I think, again, he would be in the mix, absolutely. I don't think it would be automatic that if Tony didn't come back, they would just give the job to Miguel, despite him doing a, a very nice job. But I would be, find it hard to believe he wouldn't be in the mix. How much of a mental toll do you think that took on the White Sox down the stretch, having to change managers and wondering if Tony's ever going to come back? I don't think it took that much of a toll. I think they probably knew more than we did, you know, in the media, in the public. And, you know, they played very well at the start. I think they won six straight series, you know, and then they hit this week where they just, you know, fell down against Cleveland as they did a lot this year. Not a lot, but I mean, they lost what it was uh, 12-7 was the series edge. And then the one team in the AL Central, they dominated the Tigers. They just, you know, couldn't get anything against them this weekend. So I don't think it's so much the toll of Tony, who, you know, was their leader. That a lot of people, you know, people have talked about him as, you know, they, they miss him and, you know, he was a part of the team. But I think it was more about fight, 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 and then it stopped. You know, it, reality kind of set in. When they lost to Cleveland, they're like, okay, we've lost the, the, the tiebreaker. We've, you know, we're, you know, we're down five games now. And I think it just kind of hit him and, and Cleveland just ran with it. Now, one, one side note, and this is, again, part of the miracle, they do have the tiebreaker over both Seattle and Tampa. I don't think it's going to matter, but if it comes <laughs> to that, they do have the title. So if miracles do happen, if the absolute biggest miracle in baseball history does happen, they would have the tiebreaker over both of them. We talked about that before we got on. What are the Sox have to go 8-1, and one, is that it? The Mariners have to go 1-8? I, I, think, I think they have to go 8-1 and one, facing Minnesota six times who is, you know, torn apart by injury, but, you know, going to play for pride, I would think, you know, and then facing San Diego in San Diego, who needs every win for seeding in the wild card. So it's not like they're going to be benching guys. Meanwhile, Texas, here's, here's where the, the theory falls apart. Texas has three at home against, I'm sorry, Seattle has three at home against Texas, three at home against Oakland, and four at home against Detroit. If Seattle <laughs> cannot win the magic number, the elimination number for the Sox is three, if Seattle cannot win three of those 10 games, they do not deserve to be in the postseason in that case. So, yeah, I mean, they struggled this last week or these last 10 games. They were at Anaheim, at Oakland, at Kansas City, and lost all three series. But, again, we're just, I'm talking more about Seattle. The Sox are not going to make the playoffs. You know, that's not going to happen. They're not going to go 9-0. and And we can come back and revisit this if somehow they do. But, you know, it's just it's just the one thing, just being factual, the one thing that's still alive is they are not officially in it. You know, the Boston Red Sox, they're eliminated. They're not going to playoffs. Sox have this elimination number of three, but, you know, that could be over by Wednesday night for Owino. How much of a failure would you characterize this 2022 season for the White Sox? Probably the most disappointing team I've covered in terms of, not for me, in terms of their results. You know, 06 was a very good team. There was not the extra wild card, and they lost to two red. You know, Detroit was unbelievable until, like, the end of September. And Minnesota, I think, finished 36-10 and 10 that year. There were some other teams in there that, you know, led for a while. Even my first team, 03, I think had a lead up until like the last three weeks. The first year, Robin Ventura managed. They had a three or four game lead in September and they blew it. But 
in terms of expectations, whether they were right or wrong, this team had gone to the playoffs two years in a row. You know, it was one win away in 20 from being the two seeded in those playoffs. Was the division champion last year in the AL Central. So, you know, this shouldn't have happened. Just on paper, this should not have happened. And I talked to Rick Hahn the afternoon before they lost to Houston 21 to five or whatever the heck that final score was. And he readily said it. I think it was in my newsletter that he said, if we don't make it, there are a lot of people around here. They're going to be very disappointed. And so there's, there's no, I mean, there's no reason hiding that. There's no reason lying about that because they will. I mean, obviously at the very least, this team knew it should, should have been a playoff team. So yeah, a very, a very I've covered the team for 20 years and I'm, I might be missing one, but really probably the biggest downer for the organization in terms of what ultimately happened. Is there any hope we see something different next year? Yeah. I mean, you know, they, again, they have a lot of guys locked in and there's some guys locked in at some pretty sizable numbers. So I'm not sure if they're going to go out and spend wildly, but I think they'll add on. And you also have, you know, a couple of young guys in there. Oscar Colas could be up next year, which gives you the left-handed bat. So maybe they go out and get someone who can, you know, spend some time in right field until Colas is officially ready and then also be a play a part on that team, even after he's up there. But yeah, I think there will be some changes. I don't think you can avoid changing. I think if you do, it's, it's kind of putting your head in the sand again. I don't think they believe, and I've talked to some people that this team is a disaster and they have to refocus everything and, you know, go into the laboratory and drop a whole new plan. But I think they also understand after watching what happened to them and what, what Cleveland did, excuse me, you can't come back exactly the same you have to make some changes some adjustments to be better set for 2023 and beyond for to come with scott Merkin in just a moment stay tuned this is sports talk chicago Scott Burke is still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Scott, two more questions before we finish up. First off, your reaction to Albert Pujols' 700th home run was what? Uh, amazement because we were sitting in the um, – I saw the 699 on replay. We were still in the press box. We were sitting in the post-game interview in the Conference and Learning Center and waiting for Cairo to come in. And Vinny Duber of CHGO I – I don't know if you pronounced that or just spell it out – turned to me and said – who hosts his homer? And I'm like, yeah, he had 699. He goes, no, he had 700. I'm like, you're kidding me. I said, first of all, it seemed like he was just up like five minutes before. So I thought maybe major league had done major league baseball, done a special thing where Pujols could hit two or three times through the lineup to make sure he got the 700, but it really was. He had just gotten back around that quickly. And it's a great story. I mean, like I talked to a Brayu about him. Who's good friends with Pujols. Larusa holds a Pujols in the highest of esteem and has always compared him to a Brayu. So that should tell you a little bit about a Brayu too, but you know, Brayu and Pujols are friends. Cairo played with Pujols for three years, talked to him about, you know, Pujols have a little bit on the new, in the newsletter about that. And I mean, just, just a, a, unbelievable. I mean, who would have thought the second half, I mean, his second half, probably, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Got to be up there in the top five in baseball, right. And what he's done. I mean, I wonder if he's even, I asked Abreu, I said, do you really think he's retiring next year? And he said through Billy Russo, you know, we don't talk about that. So who knows, you know, <laughs> but amazing. I mean, I mean, what four all time, right. Uh, yep. Bonds. Aaron, Ruth, Pujols, pretty good company. And I think in terms of 700 homers and 3,000 hits, it's just uh, Pujols and Aaron, right? So there you go. I mean, that, nothing more. It's just an amazing accomplishment. Scott, before we finish up today, last question. Can you tell me about the time this year you won Mega Millions or you got a winning ticket? I think I won. <laughs> well, actually, I uh, I think I won. I, pl- I only play when it's like huge amount, as in like, you know, 
the money I spend on Diet Pepsi wouldn't help me if I put it towards lottery and won like 8 million as opposed to 800 million. Like 8 million would be a nice little shot in the arm too. But I played when it was up to like 1.2 billion at my, the 7-Eleven in my building. And two things, one, the, I, I got back the money I put in. I think I won 20 bucks. But the first time I went, it was too late to get it at the counter. So you had to go through the machine and the machine only took $10 and I only had twenties in my wallet. So I put the 20 in, played 10 of the mega million and I had to play 10 on another thing. So I picked this crossword i'm not a lottery aficionado <laughs> i picked this crossword thing where you had to like rub things off in it and it showed what you want and i ended up getting like four matches so i knew that was 20 bucks i'm like okay i made whatever i spent and then i didn't realize i forgot to rub off the multiplier so i went to the counter and the young woman rubbed off the multiplier and she had this big look on her face and she's like you won 200 and i'm like I thought you were going to tell me I won 10,000. She goes, but 200 is good. And I'm like, yeah, it's good. So that was, that was, that was my big win in lottery play this year. I'm, I'm ahead of the game in my lottery winning so far this year, for sure. <laughs> well, Scott, thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure to talk White Sox with you. Best wishes as this season comes to a close. And looking forward to catching up in the offseason. Hopefully a lot of moves for the White Sox going into next year. Thanks, John. Anytime. And let me know when you need me again. Good talking to you. I talked there with Scott Merkin. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. Nope, right up. I talked there with Scott Merkin. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Scott Merkin himself, Matt Dubio, WCKG, Jim DeTalb, and to Marlboro Entertainment. Making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook. John Zaglul, want to watch more of this show, head on over to Sports TalkChicago.com. Another great show comes with tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. So long, everyone. No! No! We are the turtles!